The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Chris Adams-Wall. And we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with a couple of the heavy hitters. We have the voices of the Rays, Andy Freed and Neil Solon's on with us. Chris Adams-Wall as well. And uh, fellas, hopefully the new year has been treating both of you well so far. The Rays have made some interesting moves so far, which we will get to. First and foremost, though, is the addition of right-handed pitcher Naoyuki Uwasawa. I made sure to check with uh, Elvis Martinez and Jason Wallace, so I didn't completely butcher that name. He is a 29-year-old out of Japan. He's going to be 30 once the season starts, and it is a minor league deal. He is formerly of the... Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters, maybe my favorite name in all of sports. He's a three-time Nippon professional baseball all-star. Last year, he had he had a 2.96 ERA over 170 innings. Fastball, bunch of different curveballs, slider, cutter, splitter. Uh, really, though, Andy, we probably won't know until we see him in person, right? But this is kind of an exciting deal. And if some ham comes along, at least we'll know he knows how to fight it. So that's always a, a helpful thing, too. But, um, yeah, a, a minor league deal. I, I really think it's interesting how, you know, remember not that long ago there were questions about, you know, okay, the the, the Japanese leagues, whether it be the Central League or Pacific League, uh, will their pitchers fare well, will their players fare well? They've dominated the, the, the winter meetings uh, to this point. And, and this tells you just how much – I don't know if, if it's the Japanese leagues have caught up to American Major League Baseball or maybe American League or American Baseball has, has dropped down and there's a, a little middle point in there, but uh, they're signing for huge amounts of money. And, and I think it might have something to do, too, with the way you can, you can gauge players now, uh, analytically or robotically, uh, from a computer model standpoint, how would this guy fare here? But in terms of the the fellow that the Rays got, I, I'm kind of anxious to to see. I, I would imagine we'd see him in spring training, even though it's on a on a minor league deal. Uh, this is a guy that has experience, uh, so I don't think he's going to be intimidated coming over here. But he's going to have to prove himself a little bit. And uh, I, I, you know, there wasn't apparently that much of a, a major league market for him, so it, it seems to be classic Rays to swoop in on a guy that could have a high ceiling deal. And maybe be a part of that group, whether it's an up and down guy or a guy that maybe starts on a minor league deal and maybe sets the world on fire uh, in Durham, and, and maybe we'll see him with some impactful innings. I think it's a low risk, high reward signing. Is kind of how I look at it. Um, I, I think we talked about the last time we were on the importance of adding depth to the starting rotation, and this gives the Rays another depth option. And I think probably more than that is he's been fairly durable. I mean, the Rays don't have guys on the roster other than Uwasawa, non-roster or or on the 40-man, who've thrown, as he has, between 160 and 170 innings the last three years in Japan. So I think that part of this helps. I think the fact that he's not a high-velocity guy was probably the reason there wasn't a market. The other thing that stands out is he had the opportunity to accept a major league deal with other clubs, and he chose a minor league deal with the Rays because he believes in their ability to develop pitching. And, and help his overall market for the long haul. So I, I thought that was extremely encouraging. And it, again, it gives the Rays another arm to rely on, and they're going to have to rely on probably a, a lot of different arms with obviously not having Jeffrey Springs, not having Drew Rasmussen, 
um, for parts of the season and probably Shane McClanahan for, for all of 23. So I think the more arms, the better. And, you know, hopefully this is the guy who can help. Yeah, I think the exact quote to piggyback off what you said, Neil, was I decided to play for the Rays because the success and the rich history of pitching development really intrigued me. So that is intriguing to us. And if Uwasawa does, in fact, pitch for the Rays, I checked with Mark Topkin on this, our good friend. He would apparently be the second Japanese pitcher to play for the Rays, Hideo Nomo, Pitched for the Devil Rays in 2005. There was also a guy named Shinji Mori who was acquired by the Devil Rays through the posting system. He apparently tore his labrum in his right shoulder uh, while competing for the Rays' closer job in 2006. He missed the entire season and was subsequently released. So hopefully, Uwasawa will become the second. Let's go to Monday, though. And, Neil, I'll throw this to you because you know all about this. It was the start of the uh, international signing period and the Rays signed 23 players, 11 from the Dominican Republic, 11 from Venezuela, one from Panama. And Neil, if the team, the Rays are uh, this giant puzzle, right? Then the international signing period is, is actually a bigger piece of that puzzle than people might think. It really is. I mean, I, I kind of look at for the race to be successful long term, and they have. They need to get most of their players. They get very few from free, from actual free agency, from three buckets, from the international signing period, from the draft, and from trades. And if you look at, let's say, the 2020 World Series team, you know, they were able to get um, Nick Anderson because they had Jesus Sanchez in their system from the international signing period. They had Diego Castillo play a large role and Jose Alvarado played a role. And even before he got hurt, Yanni Chirinos played a significant role. And even look, I mentioned Jeffrey Springs. They got him in part because they had Ronaldo Hernandez who came through their international signing period. So some of the players that they, they signed, some of these 23 will hopefully evolve into big leaguers. Some of them will evolve into players that they trade for other big leaguers. The more depth you have in the system, the longer your window lasts and hopefully the Rays will continue to be successful because they've had some success in the last several years in developing players that can help them or can be used to get other major leaguers. And I, I think sometimes, too, when we look at this international draft, you look at the ages uh, and they're 16, 17 years of age. Um, and the, the international signing period goes on for quite a while. You know, it goes on through most of the year, but... Uh, so you you could hear guys suddenly sign in a, in a clump of players in April or May or whatever. But um, generally, too, you, you, like Neil, exactly like Neil is saying. You, but you you don't know what you're going to get. These guys are so young. I mean, they they choose organizations that hopefully can not only help teach them uh, English, but just to finish their high school equivalency. I mean, that, that's how young these guys are uh, right now, and. You know, Neil and I having kids that are of that age, some even beyond it, I mean, it just reminds you how young these guys are. So, you know, that, that pool of players that you sign, how many are really going to make it? Who knows? But just like Neil was saying, they give you depth in the organization. You have rosters to fill out. And hopefully, you know, you cast a wide enough net in player procurement and you get some guys that can not only help you in the organization, but... You, know, you might hear some some guy traded at some point for an impact player uh, that's more major league ready, 
And you're like, well, who is that guy? Well, they got him back in January in the National Signing Draft. So it may not be, you know, huge headlines around the country, but for those of us that follow our teams, of course, this being the race, it's a very, very big day on the baseball calendar. Yeah, and, and the one thing I will follow up with, Andy mentioned the unpredictability because they're so young. Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the best players in the sport. He signed for $100,000. He was one of the lower bonus guys. Sometimes the guys who were paid three, four, five million will turn out to be superstars. Sometimes it's $100,000 guys because they're 16 and 17 and younger than high school players. It's sometimes harder to tell how they're going to evolve and develop. And the Rays have had Yanni Chirinos, Vidal Brujan. I know we're both under $100,000 to sign, and they both turned out to be big leaguers. And that's the beauty of all this. Too. And every, every once in a while, you, you catch lightning in a bottle. The Houston Astros starting rotation basically came from the international uh, draft with, you know, Valdez and Garcia and and uh, and Christian Javier. I mean, those, those guys came from that at relatively uh, affordable prices. And sometimes you can trade for these guys too, right? Like Curtis Mead, Junior Caminero, those players come to mind, Australia, the Dominican Republic. But we move on to the wonderful world of arbitration. The deadline came and went on Thursday. The Rays had 10 players uh, on that list. They came to terms with eight of the 10, which was good. But the two players in which they have not come to an agreement yet are Jason Adam and Harold Ramirez, two guys who were pretty integral to what the Rays did last season and contributed to their 99-win season. Now we go to spring training and the process will continue. And, and hopefully the arbiter will come to some kind of an agreement and get Jason Adam and Harold Ramirez back with the Rays and, and happy with the Rays. Uh, what did you make of that, though, Andy? Jason Adam... Big guy out of the bullpen. We know that he was injured down the stretch, but when he's healthy, he's been on for the Rays. And then Harold Ramirez, we don't have to say much about him. He had a stellar 2023 campaign. Well, it's it's one of the tools that players have if if they uh, you know they earn that by by service time. It's not something that just falls into their lap. They've been there in the big leagues and accruing service time for a long enough time where they can qualify for this. Everybody seems to bash the system. And I think it's warranted. I, I think it's a very weird system. The, the part that is odd to me is that feelings tend to get hurt um, very easily. Uh, so I think teams have to really thread that needle to let the player know that, yeah, we still want you. What, what did I hear say once that it's almost like a divorce hearing where you're forced to stay together? Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's not very pleasant, I don't think, for a lot of players. I've often wondered why players often go into the room, from what I understand with it, when their team is going to, just from a business standpoint, try to knock them back a little bit. I, I think there have been cases where players have been really hurt personally by it. I think if I were in that situation, I'd want somebody else taking care of it. Just tell me how it, how it finishes off. I've, I've got my, my team prepared to make a case, and then the the team itself makes its case, and, and the Rays for a long time had a very almost undefeated record, if I'm not mistaken. And then in more recent years, they uh, they haven't won uh, as many arbitration cases. But from a fan standpoint, Neil, it doesn't affect me that much uh, in the respect that they're battling usually over a couple hundred thou, which, relatively speaking, is not that much within the, the frame of, of professional sports, but. I just hope that when it's done, and Eric Neander on record talking about it recently too, saying we have to make sure that, you know, the, kind of what I was just saying, make sure it don't hurt everybody's feelings, just get this thing hammered out and hopefully 
it gets done and let's move on for the year. Yeah, I, I think it the, the whole process, a lot more is made of it probably than, than needs to be. Because once the player is tendered the contract in December, they're going to be with the team unless there's a trade. All arbitration does is determine what your salary is. And I think the Rays have been pretty good at threading that needle about handling things because having been in spring training for uh, on a daily basis for a number of years, most of the guys who go to arbitration hearings, it, they've gotten really good at not making someone take anything personally and how they handle the, the back part of this. So I, I think, you know, ultimately they figure out the salary, they have a conversation afterwards, and they move on and the players in spring training ready to go. So, um, you know, it, sometimes the agent wants to go to arbitration. Sometimes the player does. How, however it works out, the player gets paid what they eventually deserve based on what the arbiter decides or based on what the two teams come to an agreement on. I don't, I don't know how other teams operate, guys, but I think the Rays are remarkably good and put a lot of, uh, a lot of thought into their relationship with those players. Uh, and, and having been here for a while, it wasn't always like that in the early years of this franchise. I think it's, it's evolved that way from Andrew to Matt to, to Eric. I think Eric is especially good at it. Uh, of, I mean, I, even the story, and it was a trade, but the story that Glassnell said, he's traded, then he goes over to Andrew's house and they, they make sure to talk about it. I think that's how you get a good reputation in the game. And that's how you get, perhaps, guys from, uh, like, uh, the, the new pitcher from Japan, the reputation that that has. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over years and years and years of developing relationships with players. And I think the Rays are especially good at that. Yeah, they get guys up to speed and, and buying in, I think, better than anybody. And I think they leave knowing that they've been part of a special place. And I think guys who are here now understand that. And, you know, you look forward to spring training only a few weeks away and getting that whole process started. Again. To me, the weirdest part about it is that those hearings often happen until spring training begins. So it's like, you know, the guys go in, they're playing. I mean, you can imagine, we say this all the time. I mean, these guys are people with families and lives and issues and troubles and like we all do. And they're in spring training without really having a true contract signed yet. And then it happens and maybe they win, maybe they lose, and then they get asked about it, which is fine. Uh, but I think there's a real awkward gauntlet to run. But I think like Daniel was saying, we probably make too much out of it because we're looking for things to talk about in spring training, which, by the way, is less than a month away, thankfully. It, it sure is. And Neil, I know you have to go soon, so I'll throw this right back to you before you have to go. We had Adam Barry on the pod last week, the race beat reporter for MLB.com, to talk about the Jose Caballero and Richie Palacios deals. What did you make of those acquisitions by the Rays? Well, I mean, I, I thought they filled some needs, right? I mean, based on the, the Wander situation, based on Taylor Walls not being ready for opening day, the Rays felt they needed another shortstop they could rely on. And even, even when Taylor Walls is ready, and, and I listened to Adam, he's not going to play every single day coming off hip surgery. So the more versatility the Rays have with their infield, the better off they're going to be, the more depth they have. And Caballero is a guy who, when I saw him with Seattle, he looked like a pretty good player. And... Um, the race had to give to get, but then they went out and got Richie Palacios to fill that let maybe perhaps the left-handed bat role that they lost when they, um, traded Luke Rayleigh and we're going to miss Luke, a really good guy. But I think the two guys they got in return seem to be 
you know, reading about Richie Palacios and the way he's fit into the culture in St. Louis, hearing about Jose Caballero and the energy kind of guy he is, it sounds like both guys are the are Rays guys and, and will fit this organization. And it seems the Rays pro scouts always do a really good job on the background of a player and finding guys who fit the system. So hopefully these are two more and I'm looking forward to spring training when we get to know him a little bit more, but Richie's from a baseball family, um, you know, has a brother who plays for Pittsburgh. It's it's going to be a lot of fun to get to know a little more about the, the personal side of these guys and tell their stories. I think part of it, too, is, gosh, opening lanes for players. I think the trading of, of, uh, of Rayleigh puts a spotlight on the confidence they have in Jonathan Aranda, that he's going to hit from the left side. And, and even when he was going at his worst last year and the year before, Kevin Cash, time after time, would say this guy – is going to hit in the big leagues, but there's no other way to learn. You know, when you've when you've pretty much mastered everything there is to master in the minor leagues at the highest levels down there, at some point you got to get thrown into the fire and learn how to hit major league pitching. There's every indication that he's going to hit, and I'll go with that for Curtis Mead too, um, because look, he had some moments last year, but there are times he looked overmatched. We've you know we've been through this so many times, and and Chris, you too. These guys struggle a little bit in the big. I mean, really, it took years for him whether it be with the Twins or the Dodgers, to learn how to hit big league pitching. And, you know, I'll miss him. I, I, I really think he was a valuable piece. And strangely, somehow, I think he became one of the leaders of the group, even though he wasn't a raised, you know, minor league guy coming up. And uh, I, I think he really added a lot off the field as well. So I'll, I'll miss him. But uh, like Neil just said, you got to give to get. And I, I, anything to, for me, anything to help this team defensively, I think, I really see it where whether it's the infielders or the outfielders, uh, in this case, Caballero looks to be a really good defensive shortstop. And DeLuca, the kid that the Rays got, uh, looks to be a really good outfielder to take the place of Margot, who honestly, and this is just what I see, looked like he was not the same outfielder that he was prior to the knee injury in 2022. So if we've helped uh, the defense and if he can hit, uh, then he might actually end up being a step up uh, than Margot, much as I appreciate what he did for the Rays. And, and to amplify your point on Jonathan Aranda, I think, and Luke Raley, we were having the discussion about, you know, how Luke was going to fare probably in January and February last year. And lo and behold, he became, you know, is, is he going to be able to adjust to major league pitching on a regular basis? And lo and behold, he did. And I kind of trust our guys when they say, as Kevin Cash had said, he believes Jonathan is going to hit, that he'll make the necessary adjustments to hit at this level. I think Kevin's got a better eye for that than, than almost anyone in the game. The problem is, though, who's our emergency pitcher now? You know, we have Brett Phillips. They traded him, so that fell to Rayleigh. Now they traded him. Who's the guy that gets the game when we're, when we're up 15-1 to 1 in the ninth inning? One of the things to talk about in spring training, Andy. It's, we'll be on the search for that, too. And Bethancourt right. not with the Rays either. So, yeah, he lost another pitcher there. Uh, Richie Palacios hit a big home run against the Orioles the day before the Rays went there, which shrunk the lead to two for Baltimore over Tampa Bay. So that's something to think about, too. He's also a Towson guy, which I know Andy loves. So we'll see how Richie Palacios and Jose Caballero do. Last part, guys, the rest of Major League Baseball. There are still some huge free agents out there, guys like Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, you name it. Josh Hader's still available. What have you met? Uh, what have you made of other teams' moves? I know the Yankees just added 
Marcus Stroman, which is kind of an interesting acquisition. I don't know if he's necessarily a number two or a number three starter there for New York, but that's what he's going to be for them. He's maybe more of a four or a five on a good big league rotation. Uh, but what have you made of free agency across the league? And are there any moves that scare you? Or are you surprised at how slow it's been at this point? Like you, like you pointed out earlier, Andy, we are a, about a month away from the start of spring well, training. Well, when you look at, I, I mean, the, the little list I've been putting together, and you mentioned some of these, but Matt Chapman, uh, Bellinger, Jorge Soler, J.D. Martinez, Reese Hoskins, Whit Merrifield, Justin Turner, all, all these guys still don't have uh, homes yet. And not to mention Josh Hader and Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery and, and those guys. None of the signings really scare me uh, to this point from another group. And then the Yankees, uh, they're almost in desperate need to get somebody behind Garrett Cole in the rotation. Um, but uh, that being said, I still see the division as, as formidable, probably still the best going. Um, NOS, certainly with the, uh, with the Diamondbacks coming on. Um, you know, Stroman, we saw Stroman, Neil, at his absolute best, flirted with a no-hitter. What was it, a one-hit shutout against the Rays at Wrigley? But then he tailed off quite a bit. At the end, uh, so I, he will help. He's a good pitcher, um, but I, I, I'm much more curious where some of the. I, I don't want the Orioles to sign one of those lefties. That, I'm stuck on that. Um, if Snell or even uh, or Montgomery sign with Baltimore, now I'm not so sure that they're going to. Uh, but if they get a, a, a really good lefty there at that ballpark, boy, that makes it awfully tough uh, for everyone else. But uh, like we were talking about beforehand, Neil the. The O's are still the team to beat. At least they are now. They won 101 games. Yeah, I, I think they are, especially with Rushman and, and Gunnar Henderson with another year under their belt. I mean, those two guys, if they're healthy, really solidify that overall group. And I think their young pitching has gotten better with each passing year, whether it's Grayson Rodriguez or Kyle Bradish. I expect those guys to pitch like, you know, top of the rotation type guys because for the most part they did. And guys, they did Kramer are pretty good. I am curious where some of the remaining guys end up. I've been a little puzzled by what Boston did because all we heard at the end of the regular season was they're going to go out and add starting pitching, and they basically traded, what, Chris Sale for Lucas Giolito. To me, that doesn't make them better really at all from a rotation standpoint. And who knows? Maybe one of these guys would slip through in the race and get one of these guys on a one-year deal. You never know how it's going to play out, and we are less than a month away from the start of spring training. Can't wait to see both of you down in beautiful Port Charlotte, Florida. But until then, Andy Freed, Neil Solans, thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll try to get Enrique Olu on here uh, one of these weeks. But until then, I'm Chris Adams-Wall. Thanks so much for tuning in to This Week in Rays Baseball. And we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>